1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit." This is the word of God. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, it is the faith of our hearts. It is the delight of our hearts. It is the hope of our hearts. It is the certainty of our hearts that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus has quenched the wrath of God for us to the very last drop. That Jesus has absorbed hell for every single person who would believe in him. It is the hope of our hearts that though we are sinners, and though we are as crimson, by faith in Christ, we can be made white as snow. Thank you for this hope. Help us this morning, we pray. Lord, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, won't you come? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a fan of football, you are familiar with the name Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell 
was known as one of the most talented quarterbacks ever to play the game. Jamarcus Russell played college football at Louisiana State University, where he finished with a record of 21-4. and He capped off an outstanding collegiate career when he was named MVP of the 2007 Sugar Bowl. He was then drafted number one overall by the Oakland Raiders in the 2007 NFL Draft. The Raiders then signed him to a contract worth $61 million. NFL scouts and coaches alike drooled over Russell's blend of athleticism, arm strength, and size. The one word consistently used to describe Jamarcus Russell was gifted. Gifted. The Undefeated.com said Russell had supreme physical gifts. ESPN.com says Russell was considered a physically gifted project. NOLA.com, the website of the New Orleans Saints, compared Russell to other quarterbacks taken number one overall, saying, Russell is believed to be as gifted as each one of those players. Jamarcus Russell was undoubtedly talented. Jamarcus Russell was most certainly gifted. But after just three years with the Raiders, it had become apparent that Jamarcus Russell had wasted his gift. NFL.com says, he is one of the most gifted passers to enter the NFL in the past 20 years, but a lackluster work ethic prevented him from displaying his natural talents. USA Today tells a story which encapsulates Russell's wasted gift. The Oakland coaching staff would routinely give Russell DVDs featuring game plans and new plays for him to study. The coaches started to suspect the rookie wasn't doing his homework and came up with a brilliant plot to test him. One day, they asked Russell how he liked the game plan on the DVD they had sent him home with the previous night. He said he did like it, but there was one problem. The coaches purposefully gave him a blank DVD. Their suspicions were confirmed. The player may check all the boxes on tape, but if he doesn't care about getting better, all of his physical gifts will be wasted. The sight of a singularly gifted person is a sight to behold. And yet, the sight of a singularly gifted person wasting their gift is a sad sight to see. This morning, in our series on the communion of the saints, we will be broaching the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, I admit, as I was first thinking up this series, I was hesitant to include a message on spiritual gifts. But then I read 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. That word, unaware, is the Greek word from which we get our word, agnostic. I do not want you to be unaware of your gift. I do not want you to be agnostic about your spiritual gift. 
My desire is that this morning, no single Christian in this room would waste their gift. My desire is that no single Christian in this church would waste their gift. My aim is simple this morning. I do not want us to be a people that fall prey to 1 Corinthians 12.1. This morning, I would like us to become aware of our spiritual gifts. And I would like to do that by asking and answering seven questions regarding spiritual gifts. First, how do we define spiritual gifts? How do we actually define spiritual gifts? What are the defining features of a spiritual gift? Wayne Mack defines spiritual gifts as abilities that God has granted to Christians for the edification of others in the body and the evangelization of those outside the body. Mack's definition is so helpful because it is so basic. Mack gives us a foundation upon which to build. And I would like to do exactly that. I would like to build upon his foundation, and I would like to take his definition and add to it some nuance. In our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 7, Paul uses four different words to describe spiritual gifts. These are four different lenses of looking at the same diamond. These are four different angles picturing the same mountain peak, four different perspectives on the same work of art. These are four different facets of a single reality. The first word that Paul uses is the Greek word pneumaticon. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual pneumaticon gifts, brethren. Now you will notice that the word gifts in this particular translation appears in italics. Which of course means that the word gifts does not actually appear in the original manuscript. The word gifts does not appear in the original Greek. Instead, the original language says something akin to concerning spiritual things, concerning spiritual matters. Clearly, the emphasis is on the spiritual nature of the gifts. God gives gifts for spiritual purposes. They live in the spiritual realm. They are given for spiritual benefit. They are spiritual means to a spiritual end. They are the spiritual gifts. Now we should draw one very simple conclusion from this very simple word. Only Christians have spiritual gifts. Only believers have spiritual gifts. Unbelievers, by definition, cannot have spiritual gifts. Because by definition, by a biblical definition, unbelievers are spiritually dead. And before you can have a spiritual gift, you must have spiritual life. Only Christians, only believers are recipients of spiritual gifts. Secondly, the Greek word charismaton, verse 4, gifts. This word comes from the root word charis, meaning grace. 
Spiritual gifts are literally grace gifts. Gifts that are given by grace. They are given entirely through favor from God. Gifts are given. They are not earned. Gifts are bestowed. They are not merited. You don't earn a gift like you earn a paycheck. Gifts are not a reward for being holy. They are not a prize for being godly. They are grace gifts. They are not a result of what we have done. They are a result of what God has done. Now, we hate to admit it, but much of the time, God gives us gifts despite us, not because of us. The Corinthian church was a stark example of this. So much unholiness, so much discord, so much theologically incorrect in that church, so much strife, and yet the Corinthian church was arguably the most gifted church in the New Testament. They were the most gifted church, but they were not the most holy church. They were the most gifted church, but they were not the most mature church. The church in Corinth looked remarkably and sadly like Corinth itself. The point is, you cannot equate giftedness with maturity. You must not equate giftedness with godliness. To equate giftedness with godliness is a potentially devastating mistake in the personal walk of a Christian. To equate giftedness with godliness is a potentially devastating mistake in the corporate life of the local church. To be gifted is not necessarily to be godly. Gifts are given by grace and grace alone. Thirdly, diakonon. Verse 5, ministries. Now, this word carries with it the idea of service. It is the word from which we get our word, deacon. This word tells us that spiritual gifts were given so that we might serve others. Gifts are given for the edification of the body. Spiritual gifts are divine enablement for ministry. We are not to be consumers with our gifts. We are to be givers with our gifts. Brothers and sisters, the gifted are to give. Those who have been, been given grace gifts are to give grace to others. Fourthly, anergmaton, verse 6, effects. You can hear the root word energy. Energy. This means that the power of God himself works through our spiritual gifts. God himself energizes our spiritual gifts. The power of Jesus to teach, preach, heal, protect, serve, defend, and witness has been distributed into his body. The God who made Edwards theologically brilliant. The God who made Luther fearlessly bold. The God who made Spurgeon the prince of preachers is the same God who dwells in you. The God who gave Johnny Erickson Tata Christ-likeness. 
the God who gave George Mueller a supernatural faith, the God who empowered Hudson Taylor for missions is the same God who dwells in you. It is God who lends power to the gifts. It is God who works through the gifts. It is God who energizes the gifts. So how do we define spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are divinely empowered abilities that God has grace-gifted to Christians for service. Namely, for the edification of others in the body and the evangelization of those outside the body. Secondly, what are the spiritual gifts? What are the gifts? Well, this question is really rooted in a word repeated over and over again in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. If you read carefully, you will see that there are two emphases in this passage. First, the gifts are unified because they come from the same source, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But there is another emphasis. There is a variety of gifts, a plurality of gifts, a diversity of gifts, an assortment of gifts. And Paul's point is clear. There are many gifts. A survey of the New Testament bears this out. And here they are. There are five explicit lists given in the New Testament of the spiritual gifts. I've listed them here for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Romans 12, 6 through 8. And 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Now, as you peruse this chart, I want you to notice that none of these passages gives the same list twice. There is some repetition, but there is not uniformity. Now, this leads us to believe that the lists are sample lists. That is, they are not exhaustive lists. These are merely examples of gifts. They are not an exhaustive or comprehensive list of gifts. Now, let me put it like this. Bottom line, you may have a gift that is not listed in the Bible. You may have a gift that is not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Case in point, let's take the example of musical gifts. There's no explicit mention of musical giftedness in any of these five lists. However, I would argue that musicians have been gifted by God with a spiritual gift, the musical ministry of the worship of God. So music is a spiritual gift, even though it is not listed in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, the number of gifts that God could distribute to his body is innumerable. So just because perhaps your gift is not listed in the New Testament, that does not mean you are not gifted. Indeed, you are. 
The other observation to see from these lists is that we must realize that giftedness is individualized. Giftedness is specific to each Christian. Each Christian receives a gift in varying measure. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each Christian receives a gift to a varying degree. For instance, not everyone with the gift of administration has the gift to the same degree. Not everyone with the gift of evangelism has the gift to the same degree. They may all have the same gift, but they do not express that gift in the same way. This is why, brethren, it is downright silly and actually sad to compare giftedness. Well, you're not as passionate about that as I am, or you're not as good at that as I am. Brothers and sisters, what you're doing is you are projecting your giftedness onto someone else. And you forget that it is the purview of Christ. It is the purview of the Spirit. It is the authority of God to distribute the gifts to whomever he wills and to each distribute the gift in a measure that he wills. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thirdly, who gives the gift? Who gives the gift? Well, if we read this text, the answer is obvious. It is staring us right in the face. The answer is right before us. Let me read the text again with emphasis to elucidate the answer. Who gives the gifts? Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. But the same spirit, verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things. The Spirit gives the gifts. The Spirit gives the gifts. The Spirit gives the gifts. The Spirit gives the gifts over and over and over and over and over again. It is almost ad nauseum. It is repetition to the point of awkwardness. It makes you uncomfortable as you read it. But it is repetition for a divinely inspired reason. Paul makes clear that the gifts originate from the Spirit. Paul makes clear that the Spirit gives the gifts to break the back of pride in the church. The Spirit gives the gifts to break the neck of arrogance in the church. Well, we heard you the first time, Paul. Oh, really? If you heard him the first time, why would you ever boast in your giftedness? 
when you truly understand that it is the Spirit who gives the gifts, then you would never, ever think of boasting in your giftedness. You cannot boast in your giftedness and display the Spirit at the same time. You either display yourself or you display the Spirit, one or the other, not both. He must increase. We must decrease. If you want to be a loving person, to be thought of as loving, or because you want to point other people to, to the ultimate source of love, Jesus Christ. Do you want to lead so that others will admire you? Or do you lead to point others to the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ? Do you want to be holy so that other people can view you as some super mature Christian? Or do you want to be holy because you want to lead others to the God who is holy, holy, holy? The fact that the Spirit gives us the spiritual gifts should make us a confident yet deeply humble people in our giftedness. Fourthly, who receives the gift? Who receives the gift? Paul says in verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, to each one, to each Christian, to every Christian, every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift. The church is not a society of the haves and the have-nots. It's not just the leaders. It's just not, not just the mature. It is to each one is given a spiritual gift. Now you say, okay, okay. It's just to each one in the Corinthian church. I mean, you just got finished saying that the Corinthian church is the most gifted church in the New Testament. So it's just speaking about the Corinthian church. Well, I beg to differ. Ephesians 4.7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each. 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift. To each one. To each. As each. Each one. For each. Every single Christian has received a spiritual gift. Each member of the body has received a spiritual gift. God puts no paralyzed or vestigial parts in the body. All members have function. Brethren, this seems obvious, but not everybody would agree with what I just said. Not everybody would agree that each Christian has received a gift from God. There's a great deal of distortion about this very point in today's church. And the distortion has to do with the meaning of one phrase in particular. It is the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The phrase appears in our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Now one camp in particular, Pentecostalism, defines the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a kind of second blessing 
an experience after conversion that empowers a Christian for a greater service to God. It is a post-conversion experience that provides the believer with newfound spiritual giftedness. Now, just some background before we proceed. Pentecostalism has two fundamental distinctives. A historical distinctive and a doctrinal distinctive. Historically speaking, Pentecostalism refers to any denomination or group that has its historical roots in the Pentecostal revival of 1901. In 1901, in Topeka, Kansas, a man named Charles Parham began to teach that the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. So if you could speak in tongues, this was evidence that you had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You had been baptized with a second blessing. A woman named Agnes Osmond, in 1901, one of Parham's students, allegedly became the first person in modern times to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and thus to speak in tongues. Which tongue? Well, she claims that for three days she could not speak in English. She could only speak in Chinese. Hmm. Well, I have to say, because I know that you'll ask me afterwards, that whether or not she actually spoke in Chinese is, shall we say, extremely doubtful. Well, how do we know? Well, for posterity's sake, Agnes Osmond wrote down her Chinese. And if you can read Chinese, in fact, if you can't read Chinese, you know that that is not Chinese. So the birth of Pentecostalism came in 1901. Doctrinally, or theologically speaking, Pentecostals hold three fundamental beliefs. Number one, all gifts mentioned in the New Testament are existent today and meant to be used today. Number two, baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering experience subsequent to conversion and should be sought by Christians today. Number three, when baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs, people will speak in tongues as the sign that they have received this experience. Well, as much as I would love to discuss number one with you, and as much as I am tempted to discuss number three with you, for the purposes of this morning, I would like to hone in on number two. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering experience subsequent to conversion and should be sought by Christians today. The Pentecostal scholar, Douglas Oss, says this, when Pentecostals speak of receiving the Spirit as a post-conversion experience, they are speaking of the work of the Spirit in which he empowers the believer in charismatic, that is, gifted, ways for witness and service. So in essence, Pentecostals believe that you were saved at your first blessing, but you were gifted at your second blessing. You were converted at your first blessing, but you were empowered 
at your second blessing. It is possible, perhaps even years after your conversion, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and thus to be gifted and empowered for ministry. But only those who have been spiritually mature enough, only those essentially who have lived holy enough will experience this second blessing. Therefore, not all Christians are spirit baptized. Not all Christians have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, according to Pentecostalism. At its root, Pentecostalism teaches two-class Christianity. Two-class Christianity. The more spiritual and the less spiritual. The empowered and the non-empowered. The gifted and the not gifted. The spirit baptized and the not spirit baptized. However, to argue for two-class Christianity based on the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to argue against the very point of 1 Corinthians 12 itself. The main point of 1 Corinthians 12 is the unity of the body of Christ. Why this spirit baptism? The NIV helps us. The NIV says, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to form one body. It is to unify the body. It is to put us on equal footing with one another. The baptism of the Spirit is not to form two-class Christianity. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to form one-class Christianity. So then, brothers and sisters, we must understand that there is no such thing as a post-conversion baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with conversion. It is synonymous with salvation. If you are a Christian this morning, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It is the defining spiritual experience for every single Christian who has ever lived. It is the distinguishing experience of all Christians. It is an experience shared by all Christians. The baptism of the Spirit is not speaking about all Christians hopefully. It is speaking about all Christians actually. One writer says this, the baptism of the Spirit does not distinguish a more gifted Christian from a less gifted Christian. It is what distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the second blessing that some Christians get. It is the first blessing that all Christians get. The point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that all Christians have been baptized by the Spirit, and therefore all Christians have been given a spiritual gift. So now you're tracking with me, and you're hearing me, but of course there's this question, this nagging question, in the back of your mind, in the depth of your heart. So I hear you. Every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift. 
but how do I know what my gift is? How do I know what my gift is? Well, you'll notice when the handout was passed out, we didn't hand out any aptitude tests or surveys or five steps to finding out your spiritual gift. And we won't be doing that this morning. What I'm going to do is merely mention a very basic, almost obvious approach to finding out your spiritual giftedness. Here's a threefold approach. First, the subjective component. That is, what interests you? What are you passionate about? What are you drawn towards? What do you enjoy? There's a subjective component to giftedness. Now, much of the time, not always, not definitively, but much of the time, our giftedness aligns with our interests. Our gifts correspond to our passions. Now, of course, I have to say, this includes personal prayer and Bible study. We must always bathe our passions in prayer. We must always check our desires against the mirror of God's word. We must let prayer and the word of God guide and lead our interests. Secondly, the objective component. What are you good at? What do others tell you that you are good at? What does the church affirm that you are good at? Now, the vast majority of evangelicalism today focuses on number one, the subjective component. But brothers and sisters, we must not neglect number two, the objective component. This is important because this gives us accountability. This gives us insight. This gives us objectivity. We need the church to help us to see our gifts. Thirdly, the providential component. What ministries have a need? What opportunities are there to serve? What doors for service are open? What needs to be done? Brothers and sisters, you do not find out your gift by sitting in a room by yourself filling out some random survey or aptitude test. No, you find out your giftedness in the context of the local church. You find out your giftedness by serving and being involved in ministry where your gifts can be recognized, where your gifts can be nurtured, where your gifts can be matured, where your gifts can be sanctified. You find out your gift by having a heart to serve. Gifts are to be discovered and affirmed in the local church. Sixth, why have we been given the spiritual gifts? Why have we been given the spiritual gifts? Well, verse 7 provides the most immediate answer. But to each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The first purpose of the spiritual gifts is to manifest the power of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are given as showcases for the glory of God. Spiritual gifts are given to display the power and the character of the Spirit of God. 
We are merely jars of clay, broken vessels, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of us. This means that the gifts are not optional. They're not some disposable part. They're not for you to exercise if you feel like it or not. The gifts are given so that you would display God. And when the church stops displaying God, the church begins to die. We think of preaching as the display of God. We think of Christian love and unity as the display of God. We think of conversions as the display of God. But brothers and sisters, do you think of the spiritual gifts as the display of God? That is the reason why you are gifted. Secondly, the good of the church and the world. Paul says that we manifest the Spirit through the gifts for the common good. The grace gifts are to be conduits of grace to the body of Christ. The grace gifts are to be channels of grace to the unbelieving world. Notice, the display of God is directly linked to the good of God's people. Good comes to others when God is glorified through the use of the spiritual gifts. When you speak the truth in love, the God of truth is glorified and others are helped. When you perform acts of mercy, the God of mercy is glorified and others are helped. When you give generously, The God of grace is glorified and others are helped. When you exercise wisdom, the only wise God is glorified and others are helped. When you serve Christ, the one who came not to be served, but to serve, is glorified and others are helped. The display of God's glory and our good are inseparably joined together. Seventh and last, how should we practice the spiritual gifts? First, saturate the use of your gifts with love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul says, I could be the most gifted person in the world, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. Void, empty, zero. No profit, no benefit, nothing. Brethren, too often we love the gifts and we use people. We have it the wrong way. We need to use the gifts and love people. We are to saturate the use of our gifts with love. No one has the gift of discouragement. Secondly, do not use lack of giftedness as an excuse. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that some of the gifts are also duties given to all Christians. For instance, giving 
All Christians are called upon to give, but some are specifically gifted at giving or serving. All Christians are called to serve, but some are particularly gifted at serving. Now, we do a disservice to God and to the church when we say to ourselves, well, well, I'm not gifted at giving, so I don't have to give. Or I'm not gifted at serving, so I don't have to serve. Or I'm not gifted at that, so I'm just not going to do that. Brothers and sisters, let us use the gifts to empower ministry, not to serve as an excuse to avoid ministry. Thirdly, focus on spiritual maturity, not spiritual giftedness. The priority of our Christian walk ought to be Christian maturity, not spiritual gifts. Christian maturity, Christian character must take precedence. If all we do is think about the spiritual gifts and we never think about Christian maturity, then we will never grow and we will never bear genuine fruit. If our spiritual life is dead, we cannot rely on giftedness for life. Did you get that? If our spiritual life is dead, we cannot rely on giftedness for life. That will turn into hypocrisy. We walk a dangerous path when we exercise our gifts without spiritual fervor. The fuel of our gifts must be a heart that loves God. We must serve the Lord our God. We must love the Lord our God and thus exercise the spiritual gifts. We must ensure that our spiritual life is not dead and therefore our ministry hollow. We must not serve the Lord externally, but also internally. We must not just serve outwardly, but also inwardly. Spurgeon says this, I do believe it is before every Christian either to serve his God with all his heart or to fall into sin. I believe we must either go forward or we must fall. The rule is in Christian life, if we do not bring forth fruit unto the Lord our God, we shall lose even our leaves and stand like a winter's tree, bare and withered. Brothers and sisters, we must not use the spiritual gifts without true spirituality. Let it be said of us that we were not merely a church filled with the spiritual gifts, but that we were a church filled with the Spirit himself. Fourth and last, do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift. We are merely stewards of what God has given to us, which means we have a responsibility to use what God has given to us. John Owen said, God has work to do in this world, and to desert it because of its difficulties and its entanglements is to cast off his authority. It is not enough that we be just or that we be righteous or that we walk with God in holiness but we must also serve our generation as David did before he fell asleep. 
Brothers and sisters, it is not enough that we be just, that we be righteous, or that we be holy. God has called us to serve. God has called us to serve our church. God has called us to serve our community. God has called us to serve our generation. So don't waste your gift. Use your gift for the good of the church, for the evangelization of the world, and for the glory of God. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we believe in the Spirit of God. We believe in the power of the Spirit. We believe that the Spirit moves and that the Spirit gifts, that the Spirit gives. Oh, Lord, help us to be a people that love God first and foremost that love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to be a people that will use the gifts, not for our own personal benefit, but for the benefit of others around us, and to display the power of the Spirit. Help us to show the Spirit to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.